0: a threat model never expires like milk (laughs) john smiling it never expires like milk but it's more like top ramen where you can maybe eat that top ramen two years later it's probably still you know best by use date
1: hi welcome to the open at intel podcast i'm your host Catherine druckman an open source evangelist here at intel Today, my guests are John Anderson and John Whiteman, also known as John Squared around here. And we're going to dive into threat modeling to lay the groundwork for a series of episodes covering open source security. I hope you enjoy and please visit us again for more important open source conversations. Hey, I'm talking to John Anderson, a DevOps architect and John Whiteman, a security researcher, both here at Intel. Thank you for joining me to talk open source security.
0: Thank you,
2: Catherine. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
1: I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation because I think everyone, especially developers should have a basic understanding of threat modeling. So I think this is going to be really fun. First, I'm, I'm curious, what draws both of you to security work and security research?
2: Hmm. Well, I would kind of say, uh, I'm unable to not be drawn to it. Um, you know, once, and, and, uh, once you sort of get into this mindset, uh, you, you kind of start seeing things and, and, well, you want to fix things. Right. Um, and, and so as your threat model will tell you, um, what you should be worried about. So,
0: yeah, I think it's a lot of us, are the accidental tourists. We, we've been working on something before we started in security, and all of a sudden there's this need for security, and suddenly we're drawn into that. And then once you're in security, you could never get out of it. Just yep. like John said. Yep. You're stuck. Yep. Yeah.
2: Now, now your brain thinks this way and, and, and everything is a potential threat Yeah, to so be awesome. mitigated huh, or all right, scoped okay. appropriately.
1: This is, this is kind of a familiar, familiar answer to me, so, so yeah, none of that surprises me. Um, so I think threat modeling should really be the beginning of any security conversation. So just to lay the groundwork, what are the basics that any developer should know about threat modeling? What is threat modeling?
0: So threat modeling, imagine, maybe i use the analogy like a house, and you own this house, you have your family. And of course, you want to, your family is what you want to protect, right? And there may be assets inside the house as well. So you might live in a neighborhood that is dangerous, you might live in a safe neighborhood or something in between. But either way, you still look at things like, well, if I have a door, I should put a lock on it, right? Um, if I have windows and I leave the house, I should maybe close them, right? And all of these things. So you start putting all these things in place. And it might be, uh, again, a neighborhood that is a bit more sketchy. And you might say, well, maybe I should put up some security cameras because the return on investment is there because I, my car got busted in you know, a couple weeks ago. Now, taking that analogy and then putting it into a project, and not saying that your project's in a bad neighborhood, but but if you have your project, you are going to look at, again, what is it that you're trying to protect, right? And you're going to look at some of the mitigations that would protect them. And some of them might not have a good return on investment. There might be something that is more expensive than what it is that you're trying to protect. So from threat modeling side, it's what your assets are, who your attackers or your adversaries are, and what, it, what are you gonna to do to try to protect them? And usually try to set these objectives up front as you're building your threat model.
1: So, so the basic questions, what are you trying to protect? Who are you trying to protect it from? You know, what, what, what's the damage if, if, if you fail, basically, right? Exactly, and just, exactly,
0: yeah. yep. And in end, it's, it could be your environment. You may have that same house, but it depends where that house is located. Right. All of those things matter. If you're going out and building something, you're, you're creating something for a customer, the things that you have to worry about is protecting assets that might be important to the customer. And, and probably the, the most common thing we hear about today is like data and privacy. So we try to identify in a project what the assets are. And again, it could be information, your health information. And we look for ways of protecting that. So there could be different types of adversaries out there. They could be nation states, they could be script kiddies or whatever, but you put these things in place to protect those assets to of course, protect you, your reputation and your customers. And fundamentally that's what threat modeling is.
1: So I'm wondering how does threat modeling differ when you're considering open source software versus proprietary software? Does it differ?
2: I think it, it would largely depend on, you know, what, what angle you're looking at it from, right? So if you're looking at it as, as you know, a vendor uh, providing proprietary software, you know, you might you might have a, a different threat model than, um, you know, an open source project or, or community or, you know, set of open source projects, right? So you might, uh, you know, while we don't endorse security by obscurity, you might have a few trade secrets that you might want to keep a secret. And, and so, you know, from that perspective, uh, you, you would be, you know, looking at a, a different different, uh, you know, lo- level of confidentiality that you want to ensure there, you know, for different actors, right? Your customer is actually somebody you're trying to, p- to protect yourself against, you know, maybe if you're a video game, right? Um, so from, from that aspect, you know, you have a, you, you end up with different threat actors, right? Um, and that's all highly dependent on your situation, right? So, uh, you know, educational software, not protecting against the customer, video games got to protect against the customer. Open source software, basically everyone's a threat. Um, So, and everything's a threat because you have no idea how your software is going to be used. Um, Whereas with (laughs) with third-party software, right? You're selling something for a purpose. You got a pretty good idea of why somebody's paying for that. Whereas with open source software, you're putting it out there and and you really don't know what people are going to use it for, which can be a challenge when you're, for example, releasing reference implementations as a company.
1: And I I also wonder just kind of as a follow-up to that, open source is, is ubiquitous at this point. I mean, open source is everywhere. I think a lot of people maybe who aren't involved in open source don't realize just that, I mean, is, is there much software that doesn't use open source? There's really not anymore. So I wonder, you know, I wonder how that distinction is still important, you know, as it relates to threat threat assessment.
0: Well, I think one thing, John and I, we had, give, we gave a presentation a while back earlier this year about looking at threat modeling and even treating your threat model as as source code, particularly an open source model where everyone in that project, they become part of the threat model development piece right and you treat you know your threat model like you treat with source code you look and identify them you try to be open about it and i think that's one huge difference say as 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 opposed to proprietary where there may be things that of course the the audience is much more restricted and there's probably certain considerations again maybe the proprietary software itself is restricted and not given to a a whole bunch of people, like John said, that we don't know who's gonna see it. So there is the differences from there, but again, I think the approach from open source software should be open source and open as well, the threat model.
1: I I love it, I, I agree.
2: Oh, uh, just also sort of on that, you know, there's there's this flip side, there's the providing side, right? And then there's also the consuming side. And, mm-hmm. and of course, with the recent supply chain, you know, focus, supply chain security focus, we've seen a lot, you know, this this uh, shift to really think about, well, how do the things that I'm including in my project, you know, affect the security posture of it, right? And so from that perspective, when you're choosing, you know, when you're sourcing your components, um, you know, you're you're almost making sort of a lifecycle decision there, you know, on, on like that xkcd of the maintainer in nebraska yep. right that is a choice that does factor into your health of your project and your health of your project is its maintenance status can affect the security status of it long term
1: yeah i yeah i like that and that's definitely uh for those listening i think that's a conversation we're going to continue to explore in future episodes so uh, i hope uh, people will come back for that so so what makes a good threat model and beyond that, is a threat model ever complete?
0: Yeah, good threat model, I think, starts with the basics. I mentioned previously with the assets, identifying what those assets are and what you're trying to protect. And then you want to get into things like trust boundaries. So if your threat model is on a network or on maybe in the cloud, for example, there are considerations to do and there are different levels of trust that you have to think about, and then the flow between the trust boundaries, right? If it's as simple as a a web application and you have a browser, you know, there's of course this big, this big spans called the network, right? Untrusted network that you need to cover. And also think about who your adversaries are. In some cases, it could be advanced attackers, you know, state agents, state actors, for example, uh, or it could be some more simple things, or even even accidental things, inadvertent types of attacks that may occur. but you want to put all of these components in, and you want to make sure that you identify the potential attacks that they have, particularly on a capabilities basis. And then you consider things like mitigations against them. And this is where the whole risk management thing comes into play, where mitigations could be something. Another part might be uh, transference of of that. You may not have that ownership, or it could even be acceptance. Maybe the risk is low or the complexity is very high or or the damage is minimized. So you get into all of those aspects as well. Um, But John, do you think that the threat model is ever done? We have a complete no and, and,
2: and that's because <laughs> and this is the, the fall under that is because your scope might change right and your scope might change in, in various different areas and you might be scoping things in or out right depending on your deployment and and that is you know fundamentally it's tied to how do you see your how do you envision your project or how will your project actually be used right um, and it's highly dependent on on, on scope there if, you, if your project is alive your threat model t- should be too.
1: How much of threat modeling is about a methodology versus just a mindset? All right. When you think about how you approach your threat modeling process.
0: I think it's a combination of both. Uh, some teams will come in and they've never done threat modeling, so they're not sure what happens. But I see this process that takes place as you go through the threat modeling. They learn about these things and it's great touch points, particularly as a security person interacting with teams. I've seen a transformation when there is no mindset, meaning there hasn't been any thought about threat modeling to the end of the process where you have a nice complete threat model at that time where the team finally gets it and they say, oh, I see what you're talking about. And it sort of continues on after that. And you can apply more trust into teams to do it for future releases, as as we asked that question before. The threat model never is really never complete if you're adding new features or there's new kinds of attacks out there that we're not aware of, or just simply things that we we forgot about or missed. That is an evolutionary process, just as the mindset is too.
1: So I'm wondering, and this is kind of a slightly tangential question, but, and just for fun, but do you incorporate storytelling or creativity into the process when when you're thinking about this?
2: I mean, I think that that as you look at the different attackers, you know, and their various capabilities and, and, you know, uh, motivations, right, those almost tell the story in themselves, right? Uh, So, you know, uh, nation state attacker, right, you know, uh, pretty, you know, your story there might be, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a major, I'm Lockheed Martin, right? Well, then my story might be. Defend against World War Three, right? There's your story. That's that's your your very <laughs> high level, right? Um, but you know, it, it might also just be you know like uh, some of the, some of these are more complex especially if you start looking at like um you know f- physical access um when, when physical access exists and you're you're defending against you know maybe like uh, uh you know an abusive partner situation or something i know there's a lot of mm. uh you know uh, physical devices and, and social networking and things that have to deal with that that is a, a sad story but a very much more complex story um and if you don't dive into that right you're not going to see that the various uh angles that you need to defend against
1: Taking a little bit of a different turn, I believe that greater diversity on your security team, the better, because the greater the variation among life experience, the more coverage you get when thinking through a problem from different perspectives. How would you encourage people new to the security field to break in? Are there any particular qualities you think that are particularly valuable or might give a person a greater aptitude for this type of work?
0: At least for me, I, I've seen people, again, it, a lot of people that come into security, especially, well, today, there's a lot of, you know, college curriculum around that, right? There's cybersecurity studies, etc. But a lot of folks still come from sort of a non-pathway to security. It's just mm-hmm. that they're in that, that, that situation where they need a security expert. And yeah, it, I think there's a natural curiosity around it. There's also a... I, I, I would say a, a, an added caring for your product to make sure it's secure because, again, what we're trying to do is protect the customer and, and protect the, uh, the, the reputation of who we're working for, right, for that. And I think there's also most security people, at least I know, tend to like to, to work hard to keep learning. And if if, if this is what you want to do and become the experts, I mean, it's in every field out there from medical to for what semiconductors, everything. There's some security aspect to it. So if you're interested in AI or if you're interested in protecting, you know, a hardware store, it's all there for you. And it's just, you know, I think it's a natural curiosity that comes with all of that.
2: Yeah, and and, and with curiosity, you know, and and thinking about how one might be able to get started, one of the things that that really everybody can do, but is a, a pretty you know uh, fairly easy thing that you can do as you're writing your software is when you pick a dependency a lot of times dependencies might have if it's a well-established project some particular security guarantees that you know you should be aware of right or a security section right so as you're going around and you're reviewing your dependencies or you're choosing a new dependency uh, you you can take a look at what the project has already written about what they think you should consider from the security perspective and that can kind of you know tease that curiosity and kind of get you thinking about well, why did they write that? Right? You know, Mm -hmm. what do I need to be worried about here? You know, what do I need to be mitigating, you know, within my usage of that? Um, It can kind of take you down that rabbit hole a little
1: bit. Speaking of rabbit holes, um, how does working in security bleed over into your private life? Do you find yourself tempted to kind of risk assess every public place and every interaction? I, you know, I like to encourage people to use threat modeling concepts when evaluating their own online behaviors, for example, like when it comes to privacy considerations. Are there any other areas of life where you like to apply this way of thinking?
0: I, I knew somebody who had started, John and I were on the same team a while back who had started on our team and never had security experience and was in multiple meetings that we have. And one observation that she had in the beginning was, Why are you all so paranoid? Every time somebody said something, why are you all like that? And I said, just wait. And about a year later this person was exactly like us and yeah. I, I again it, it is you know uh, d- trust and verify but maybe even worse never trust and always verify I think it's a security yeah, there you
1: go. the, the Fox <laughs> approach <laughs> yeah. oh, which is it. you know
2: it's not to say that you, you you need to be worried about everything right but it's it's more of that you know being, being prepared and, and having the mindset allows you to not worry right mm-hmm. um, n- knowing that you've explored these angles, um, you know, allows you to to have a, a you know more more sound approach as you as you go about your software project or your life, right? And and so yes, you can. Uh, I have definitely assessed every place that I walk into, um, you know, all the time. Um, but you know, I you know, I think that type of stuff becomes second nature and it becomes second nature as you as you develop your software too and then you know you you are more secure and you don't think about it right um it's just really about being critical right and and having that that critical mindset
1: so truth when you go into a restaurant do you pick the table based on like scoping out the exits and stuff
2: uh, not, well, always. John, John, <laughs> not always. Not always. Dep- depends. <laughs> grabs, depends. Uh, <laughs> depends uh, you know uh, what? What the throw model is.
0: <laughs> John always grabs the seat that faces the door. That that that's what I was. Saying. Oh, I
1: love it! I highly respect that position. Yeah.
0: Hey, you got to know what uh, what threat actors are coming in.
1: That's awesome. Okay. Cool. So that, getting back to the kind of technical aspects here of threat modeling. So I, I suppose it should be obvious that threat modeling should be undertaken early in the design process. We're talking about software. But could you elaborate a bit on how to incorporate it into the development life cycle? And, and also maybe at what stages do you revisit it?
0: So, All uh, of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much all. But, you know, the sooner the better. So especially when they're in the part where they're creating the architect, they're doing the design, the architects are putting the pieces together. That's a good time to get somebody from security involved there. Because as as with anything, if you can find problems early on, it's going to save a lot of problems later on, particularly cost and time. But yeah, through the whole process, you, it, it, the upfront work is always the most where you have the people come in, you get all these pieces together. But once you get the once you get that initial architect in there and the initial threat model that represents that architecture, then it's it's a lot less maintenance and you should keep you know keep at it, particularly if there are no new features, particularly if you're having new releases that are coming into place, you want to make sure that your threat model's up to date. We had a joke last summer where A threat model never expires like milk, (laughs) John's smiling. It never expires like milk, but it's more like top ramen where you can maybe eat that top ramen two years later. It's probably still, you know, best Buy use date. Things like that are, I think, important to realize that, you know, unless nothing has totally changed and your project goes out of scope, that threat model is still should be living. It shouldn't be dead. It should be kept alive.
1: I like the top ramen analogy.
2: Yeah, wait, did
0: you reverse that
2: analogy? Threat models are ramen, not milk. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Okay, great, perfect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you Okay, so you talk about it as an ongoing process. So how often do you need to re- reevaluate? How do you find the right balance between too often and, and not often enough?
0: I think that it's, yeah, I think it, it, threat model is just like the product. If you look at the threat model, like you look at your project, the evolution of your project. If you're getting new features in and you have a release that's coming out, you probably wanna take another look at the threat model to see if anything has changed. Even for things that might have been deprecated, maybe things that you've taken out, you wanna make sure those are updated. Just think of the worst case if, let's say something does happen to your project and it's breached, first thing you probably wanna look at is the threat model to find out where this happened and why it happened and to make those changes accordingly. And as I mentioned too, the your, it could cha- you might have the exact same threat model and maybe it was in some research department, right? But now that research is gonna go public, it's gonna become a production product. That threat model, even though all the technologies are the same, it's gonna change because now you have a different audience. You have a different attack surface from there as well. And then finally, as you know, is as, as as you read the news, there's always new techniques, new things that people are are discovering, particularly the adversary side, which you may have not considered before as possible in your threat model. So those are things that you wanna be aware of too, is saying, Oh, I didn't realize that somebody could do that. Let's revisit the threat model, update it, and make sure we have the right mitigations in place.
1: How does threat modeling differ from similar ideas like risk assessment, or does it?
0: John, you want to talk about risk?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, that threat modeling and risk assessment really go hand in hand. I think that you can't accurately assess, uh, at least me personally, I would say I don't think you can accurately assess your risk unless you have some understanding of what your threat model is, um, because, you know, your risk is, is once again, you know, it's, it's, it's heavily dependent on what you've scoped in, what you've scoped out, right, who, who you're protecting from, right, and in what scenarios, right? And, and as John said, you know, as new things, uh, you know, you, you might even need to also factor in the risk of like, okay, so say, God forbid, somebody breaks RSA, right? You know, uh, what, well, you know, does that collapse everything catastrophically? Or is that, you know, a single certificate fails, right? um You, you know, you, you that it's, in, you know, once it's sort of, it's dependent, right? And they're definitely interrelated.
1: Yeah, that kind of leads a little bit into the next question. In, in software engineering, I I think many people become hyper focused on software in an almost atomic sense, focus- focusing on features and functionality, specialized code, whereas threat modeling requires, I think, a, a far more holistic approach to thinking. How do you ensure you are sufficiently opening your mind and getting a broad enough view?
2: You gotta you gotta get everybody involved in the project, I would say, you know, to, to give you your your opinions on, on, on how they think it could be used. But well, I think what you'll often find is that, that people are using things in a lot of different ways that you think that you're using mm, they're using definitely. them. Definitely. So that that can be one approach.
0: Yeah, and I think another one too is that even Folks, uh, we teach a class, right, in threat modeling and had all kinds of folks in there from what you would expect, the architects, the uh, uh, testers as well that, are, that go through there. But we also had managers and program managers. And what I liked about that is that threat modeling does take some time up front to get it done right. And they learned it. They, they got that eureka moment as to what it's about. And I found that some of the best proponents later... We're like program managers saying, is the threat model up to date? Has the team done their due diligence for the next release, which I, which I think is great. So part of that is, as John was saying, is to get all of the actors involved. It's not just a technical sort of exercise. It's, it's everything as far as the whole team. And everyone should get involved to understand what those threats are. Because another set of eyes, again, is going to add a different perspective and possibly uncover things that we never considered.
1: Picking up on, on something that, that John said earlier about you know, not really knowing necessarily how your how your software is going to be used. So I think so developers tend to focus um, on how software is supposed to work, how, how to achieve that goal, and maybe spend less time thinking about how it might not work or, or be misused. How do you as security specialists get developers to look at software and systems from that different perspective?
2: So, so some people really love breaking things. A lot of people that get into security, um, you know, they love breaking things. Now, John and I are, are kind of odd security birds. So that makes us odd birds within the odd birds. So um, that's how we got here. Um, But, you know, we uh, are interested in, in, of course, how how to build things securely and and you must know how things break, right? And, And so... If you're a developer and you're thinking about security, all of those things that you 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 hated, all of those bugs, right? Well, a vulnerability is just an interesting bug, right? So if somebody, if you might get really jazzed about a, uh, about a particular bug, that bug, for you know, I bet you there's somebody who might have a vulnerability about that bug, right? So if you spent all day fighting a race condition,
0: boom, <laughs> time, of check, time of use. John <laughs> crashed. <laughs> Help, <judge. laughs> <laughs> <John's laughs> John! Illustrate my example. John's been attacked.
1: Perfect. I'm
0: not perfect.
1: cutting <laughs> that out, by the way. I'm totally I, leaving is, that.
0: Out. Oh God! This, this is what we're talking part. about, yes. Catherine. You just never on know. That was purpose. <laughs>
1: yeah. That
0: was more. I would call that an insider threat. I think John. I yeah. yeah.
1: I told you this was going to be a fun podcast. Uh, yeah. For 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 those for for those who can't see, it's uh, John's headset collapsed, but it's all good. He's fine. He's fine. Flew off. Okay. With, with so many places in the development life cycle where things can go wrong, how do you methodically identify them? Where Where's the low-hanging fruit? Like, I'm, I'm new to this. Tell, mm. tell me where to look first.
2: Well, we have many, many, many very talented colleagues uh, in our community you know, software community who have written a lot of cool static and dynamic, etc. analysis tools. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the more the merrier on the usage, right, obviously, within reason, and as applicable. But of course, these can help us find, you know, some of these issues. And, and those issues can help us say, hey, this is a threat for this reason.
1: Okay, static analysis. Yeah, I like it. Step one. So, okay, speaking of tools like static analysis and others, what's What's in your toolbox, in your threat modeling toolbox? What are the frameworks, methodologies? What do you value the most? You know, what about what about modeling software like Threat Dragon? Is that helpful to you? Would it be more helpful for people newer to security engineering?
0: That, that's actually a great question. And I think for, for John and I, we go back many years on this same question. And I think people really get excited about the tools first and say, let's go out and find a a threat modeling tool and all of that. I really think it's still uh, organic. Uh, My favorite tool is a chalkboard or a whiteboard and a camera, starting with that first and just talking with the teams and putting out the threat model and then worry about the tooling later because there's sometimes I think the tool itself sort of gets in the way right? It's like, well, how do I make this? How do I put this label in this flow line? And how can I make my trust boundary a nice color, than green or something of that nature? So for us, at least, what we've learned over the past is that, you know, first, just threat model, get together, start that conversation, maybe do some initial training with the team, just tell them what threat modeling is at a very high level. And then, um, yeah, the methodology is going to depend on, again, maybe where you're working at. If you're working at per se, I like, let's say, for example, I think Microsoft, they're the ones that came out with Dread and Stride, and I believe they still use that. So if that's what they're using, that's what you do. And I do know some other government agencies are using things, maybe like pasta, whatever, depends on what it is. But the first thing is just to start threat modeling to get those things out. And then later, if you're looking at some kind of tooling or whatever, um, that should come, I would say last. Now, with that said, and we've always sort of proponents on that is we'd love to see, and I think Threat Dragon was one great example coming out of OWASP. If you can actually represent your threat model in some sort of machine readable text-based thing that you could put, say, if it's an open source project with your repo or any repo, doesn't matter. And then later on, people can draw that threat model up and update it with a nice tool. That is that is ideal as well too. But again, it depends on your circumstance. As long as you're threat modeling in the beginning, that should be the first thing, and then the other details should work out.
2: Yeah. And and what something I keep coming back to as I have had conversations with people recently is, you know, most of the time it the the first step is really just you know, tell me what you know, and don't tell me what you know, tell you what you know, right? You are the expert in your project. If you can sort of just, you know, jot down some stuff, uh, you know, just, you, then you can kind of see where that takes you. And, uh, and a lot of times, like John and I, in this talk, uh, John goes into the good, the bad, and the ugly threat model, right? And and the the auditor and, and you know, how we can look at these threat models in this example application. And what, what we see is that at when you write down what's your application doing, sometimes the uh, gaps become fairly obvious, right? Like maybe, hey, you know, I've got a HTTP client, an HTTP server, and I, when I wrote it down and I described it to myself, I didn't put TLS on there, right? So now I've immediately identified I have no encryption, and I'm really all I had to do was sort of ask myself some questions about my application.
1: I personally, I I find the identifying threat agent stage to be the most interesting and also maybe the least straightforward. Although I could be wrong and please, please uh, weigh in if you feel differently, but how do you break down that task and what what resources or methodologies are most helpful to identify?
0: Yeah, that, that, um, a lot of it has to deal with what the technologies are at hand. So for example, if you're using a network, well, there's probably going to be some kind of network adversary, right, in that regard. But then you always have to think about there's the insider threat, right? There might be somebody at the company that might, you know, of course, those are probably the worst, right? Because they would have access and more privileges. It might be, uh, again, maybe you're working for a defense contractor. So you have government agencies that aren't, might not be friendly, might be your attackers as well. And they may have a lot more resources and a lot more time to be able to, you know, attack your system. I always think that's the biggest challenge for anyone in this this whole security process. We're, you know, if you're at a company, you only have a certain amount of time before you got to get that product shipped, right? So you you don't have a lot of time to get the security right. So part of that is as you evolve, you build your skill sets up and you you do it better and quicker. But these threat agents out there, they, many of them do have all the time in the world and may have money yep. and may be able to to break these systems where you might not have the just the right amount of time to do it. But that's the whole, in a, in a way, I think that's the interesting part of the challenge. And maybe going back to your original question, why we do it, we kind of like that challenge. We say, well, we're going to step the game up the next time. We're going to do it better the next time. And, and I think that's another part of what we do, particularly in threat modeling, which makes so interesting.
1: That was such a good answer. Um, Thank you. I'm wondering if if there's anything, if there's any angle here that, that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure to mention
2: speaking of, you know, different tooling that you can use, right? We're, 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 we we have this project, um, where we're looking at, you know, defining, uh, when you look at the threat model of an application, uh, you're also looking at, at, you know, the architecture, right? You know, what are the components in that? Um, and so one, one of the things that John and I realized when we went about, you know, the, the tooling saga in our threat model journey is that there's a lot of different tools, right? And there's always going to be a different tool that's better for something else, right? Um, so we we began to focus on on kind of this approach of more like well you know what are the key components right and and then how do we you know expose those to the tools and and source from the tools as appropriate right or or you know as context appropriate right so um, it, we uh, the, so we we've come up with this concept right of of this. Uh, we basically said, we want to describe the architecture. Um, we would like to do this in an open source way. So we took the word open and we took the word architecture and we put them together. And now we, we've got the open architecture. Um, and so the goal here is, is really to say, okay, well, what, what does the application look like? And to speak of the angles, we've got this this entity analysis, Trinity, which basically says, uh, w- you know, what, what are you trying to do? What is your threat model? Right, and then what are you actually doing, and what did you write down? Right, what is your code? So, what, what is your intent at the top of the triangle? Right, what does your static analysis say, and what does your sort of behavioral or dynamic analysis say? Right, and so, so the, the objective here overall. Is to you know apply your static analysis methodologies, apply your dynamic analysis, right? You know maybe that's telemetry from the field or whatever, right? To, to tell you about you know what's happening in your software or you know what does it look like when it's tested under a live you know dynamic scanning environment, right? And and how does that relate to your threat model, right? And, and so we can do that because we can identify the different components being tested by the different tools and, and map them into this you know op- open description of architecture, um, so.
1: I, I like it. So this, this sounds like we're leading into a, 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 a conversation about your open source project that I, yes, maybe we is. have time to talk about. Ooh, <laughs> this is exciting. Okay. So John, a- Anderson specifically this time. So I'm going to be a little cryptic here because I'm guessing you're going to unpack this for, for, uh, for me and for the listeners, but tell me about Alice. Who is Alice and how, how does Alice approach threat modeling?
2: So Alice is, uh, right now, uh, she's basically a, a, a CLI utility. And the, the funny thing about Alice is uh, we're, we're hoping that eventually Alice can be her own threat model. Um, and so uh, we, we want to define her via this open architecture and then we want to analyze her via the open architecture. And then what do we want to be defining? It's the analysis of other software projects, right? So it's sort of this very recursive thing. Um, uh, and at the end of the day, really what we're trying to do is round out that Trinity, right? So we're trying to have her be able to help us identify you know is our threat model complete you know can she help us kind of gamify that process a little bit for example is there encryption on that connection or are you running that static analysis tool so maybe it's actually please go run that for me or hey, do you have a GitHub Action CI pipeline running that every time? Because, you know, my static analysis is doubly, are you doing it? And from the lifecycle perspective, do you intend on continuing to do it, right? Um, and, you know, because as somebody using a, a project, you know, I would like to know not only that their scan is clean, but that they intend on continuing to have clean scans for the scans that I care about, right? So, so really, Uh, Alice, uh, as she exists today, is really, you know, this, this, this base from which uh, we're trying to to build out uh, these, these, uh, this sort of data analysis control loop, right? Um, And that, that loop is really fundamentally about, you know, measurement, where are you at, um, you know, an analysis, hey, what is that? What, what, what are you, uh, does that conform, you know, to, to what, or what, sorry, not, I don't want to say conform. Does that align to what you think it should be doing, um, you know what? What does your threat model say, right? What are you hoping your code does, and then what does it actually do, right? That that dynamic analysis.
1: Is it is it fair to call Alice an AI tool?
2: Uh, Alice actually, so so we call Alice an AI tool. However. Alice uses no machine learning right now. Uh, She sits within a project which is fundamentally about machine learning. Um, But as security people will tell you, machine learning is a very, very dubious, Mm. dubious thing. (laughs) Um, So yes, the entire project is centered around machine learning. No, the reference entity does not use any machine learning today. Um, And the reason for that will become apparent as we begin to delve deeper and deeper into the, um, you know, various, (laughs) yeah, the rabbit hole of things that can go, uh, you know, wrong with different models and and you know their usages, which we will probably see next year. Okay. Um, you Through know, the in looking terms glass. of is abound, right? <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs>
0: John, can't, can't you call Alice AI? He's, I think you it's could the A. call anything AI. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's the A in AI. Oh, that's right. Alice Intelligence, right? Al- Al- just Al- call it Al- Alice Intelligence.
2: Al- just, Alice Intelligence, or, or I th- we were also going with the Alice Initiative, right? So, oh, that's even better. Yeah, because right. then it's just AI by default, <laughs> even if it's not ML.
0: <laughs> just don't read the fine print.
2: Yeah, just... Uh...
1: Where can our listeners learn more about Alice?
2: Uh, they can learn about Alice on the DFFML project, which is something that you can Google and it will only return one result. Um, Or you can go to the bit.ly link Alice OA.
1: Fabulous. Okay. I think we've we've covered so, so many things. And and thank you both for, for, you know, all of these insights. I think this is tremendously helpful. But I kind of wanted to wrap it up with a kind of a fun question. When are you happiest in your work?
2: John? are you happy? Well, I'm happy right now. I, you know, I love, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I really love talking to people about security, right. Um, because secure security is only as good as you put it into practice. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it you know, and, and, and making others sort of, uh, think about it. Like we talked about, you know, that threat modeling mindset, that attacker mindset that, uh, you know, it, the, the more you think, that way, the more it becomes second nature, right? And the more that you end up putting it into practice uh, without thinking about it, right? Um, so so I, I think that you know, uh, sort of having that, that critical mind and, and having those conversations where you get to uh, sort of attack problems from different angles is really the, the, some of the most fun part about security.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with John. And if I was to wear a Fitbit and I don't, and somebody <laughs> is gonna do it like a side channel attack, and they're looking where my heart rate is up and my excitement and all of that. I'm probably doing some threat modeling at that time with some team. So, yeah, it's just when you're working in security, particularly when when teams come up to you and they ask you, you know, how can we make our product better? How can we can make it more secure? Uh, to me, that's that puts all the worth in my job, and I'm, I'm extremely. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for having a job that I truly enjoy and working around such expertise as I have. Um, there's nothing better than this. You're here. Yeah.
1: Well, likewise, I, I, I get to talk to, to people like y'all. So I think this has, been, this has been really fun and informative, which is as it should be. Uh, and I hope uh, everyone has enjoyed it thus far, and I suspect the answer is yes.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us on. This was a blast.
0: Yeah, thanks, Kathy.